Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at ComboxFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combox Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must have chicken processing product, visit yardbirdchickenpluckers.com today. That's yardbirdchickenpluckers.com. Tasty Grubs by Tasty Worms Nutrition are the original dried black soldier fly larva made right here in the USA. Tasty Grubs are high in protein and calcium, vital nutrients for laying hens. Customers have reported an increase in shell quality, egg taste, and a reduction in molting time. For a limited time, get a bag of Tasty Grubs 100% free. Simply enter tastyworms.com forward slash whisper into your web browser and add one to your cart today. Save 10% on all other products such as dried mealworms by entering the coupon code whisper at checkout. That's tastyworms.com 
forward slash whisper. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. For staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Calm Bach Feeds. And uh, we've got a really great show lined up for you today. We've been trying to get this show uh, broadcast and archived into the podcast uh, for uh, all of our listeners. And uh, for actually maybe the last two or three months, but there's just either been scheduling issues. I think one time I just plain and simply just had a, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, brain fart and just totally forgot that we had a show that day and then um, some other scheduling conflicts. I know that uh, Maurice, uh, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski, I believe, spent some time in China for, for a while this past uh, late spring, early summer. But we are finally, finally getting this awesome topic to you today, um, probiotics, prebiotics, and organic acids, how to select for healthy bacteria in your chicken's gut. And this is, you know, early on it just kind of came a catchphrase, if you will, oh, probiotic, prebiotic. And it really started in the human um, world, I guess, if you will. And, and the, probably the first thing we all really think of about this that first really gained national, I guess, if you want to say notoriety, was that um, yogurt, um, oh, what's it called? <laughs> Activia. And so, you know, hey, you know, two cups a day to keep you, you know, well-regulated and this, that, and the other. And if you look at the cup of that, um, full disclosure, I actually eat that. Um, I don't eat it, I guess, two cups a day, but it's in the fridge, and I'll grab a cup here or there every now and then. But um, two cups a day, keep you regular, da 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 probiotics. And if you look at the cup of it, it says billions and billions of bacteria. So, you know, that's probably, if you look back and think, uh, the first mainstream, if you will, kind of time that we've started hearing about it in, in our human 
diet and, and maybe the benefits of uh, uh, probiotics and prebiotics. And then it came over and, and got into the animal world. And, and now, if you want to call it a catchphrase or kind of the new kid on the block, and it's not really anymore. It's, it's been out for a while. Um, I know that Kalmbach Feeds uh, and their um, all-natural uh, brand uh, uh, feed, uh, their layer pellets and crumbles, they add in production probiotics and prebiotics. It's already in there. It's already in their feed. Um, so how cool is that? And there's, uh, if you look across the board, there's studies that show the benefits, uh, not just for humans but for animals, for to help provide a healthy gut. I don't think anybody challenges that. That, that the majority of our immune system, I think, um, uh, and even animals, they say, is, is, is in the gut. It's a, the healthy gut is a big part of having a good, healthy immune system. And um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken here, um, I've used this term uh, off and on over the last year, uh, called competitive exclusion, where, and the, I think the theory here, and this may be very layman's terms, we'll let Dr. Maurice Pateski kind of describe this a little later, I'm sure he will, but um, a competitive exclusion where if you picture a, a uh, we'll just say a red Dixie cup um, sitting on the table, and if you fill that Dixie cup all the way to the brim with, we'll say, good bacteria, well, that cup is full. There is no room for bad bacteria. So I think in layman's terms, um, from talking to a lot of folks, that may be kind of the theory here is if we have good probiotics and prebiotics in our feed or even extracurricular items that we may feed our flock or ourselves, and, and we fill that cup, our gut maybe, with, with a good bacteria, that there's just no room for the bad bacteria or not as much room for the bad bacteria, which then I guess would limit the uh, cases of illness or, or disease or whatever you may have that, uh, that's going to start in the gut. So, uh, again, kind of keeping it simple there. And that, that's my two cents worth on, on, on the topic. And um, but there's a lot of people that have, if you want to say, jumped on the bandwagon uh, of this. And I'll just say the next biggest thing when we start talking about this, and Dr. Pateski may have studies that absolutely counteract this, may prove this to be wrong. Uh, we'll see what he's going to be talking about here in a few minutes. Um, but, you know, the big kicker we hear, and we've heard it for years, uh, oh, I give my chickens yogurt every day to help them have a healthy gut. And just about every expert we've had on the show over the years have said the same thing. Um, there's just, there's really not enough good bacteria in store-bought yogurt to do a darn thing for your chicken's gut. Um, not to mention that chickens themselves really don't have the necessary bacteria in their gut to properly digest dairy products, including yogurt and milk and other dairy products like that. Um, it can give them uh, diarrhea. I think there's, uh, we've heard on the show before from, from um, agricultural experts that back in the day, if uh, poultry farmers had an outbreak of coccidiosis, they would give their poultry uh, milk uh, to encourage and to cause uh, diarrhea to try to flush that coccidia out. Um, so we've heard that on the show before. So, so yeah, um, and of course you have the folks that, again, are going to count, oh, I give my chickens a cup of yogurt every day and they don't have diarrhea, blah, blah, blah. But um, in excess, and I don't know what that number would be, two cups of yogurt a day uh, based on the size of your flock. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, most of the experts that have come on say, you know, there's really, you know, um, 
not enough bacteria in store-bought yogurt to do a darn thing for your chicken's gut, but, but there's plenty of bad things in that store-bought yogurt your chickens really don't need. Artificial colors, artificial preservatives, sugar, um, high fructose corn syrup, and, and, and all of that that you really may not want to give your chickens if you're trying to do that organic, healthy uh, backyard flock. So we talk about that, and at the end of the day, whether or not, you know, it's just money may be down the drain. Um, you buy one cup of yogurt every day. Let's say you're giving to your flock every day at five, my piece, that's $30 a month. And in your mind, you might think, oh, I'm helping them. I'm helping their gut with probiotics by doing this, when reality is you may not be. And then where you could be spending less money every month, we'll say 1995, on a probiotic, that you would add to your poultry waterer that's actually and specifically designed for poultry that may actually help their gut. So you're saving 10 bucks a month and then actually now helping your flock instead of just seeing something you saw on a unreliable blog that says, oh, I give my chickens a cup of yogurt every day for gut health. So, um, again, there may be new information out now uh, that, that Dr. Poteski has, has seen or shared that, that may say, well, that may – but it may now be okay to do that. You may get some benefit from, from that. I don't know. That's just up to this point what we've heard from the other experts. Before we continue really quickly, I wanted to give everybody an update. Um, and I had posted this over on my Facebook page uh, about, um, let's see, probably about an hour ago. I got an email over from my associates at CDC, and they updated today uh, the current multi-state outbreak of human salmonella infections linked to live poultry and backyard flocks. And uh, it was updated today, and you can go if you're interested in this and see what states are affected, what states are heavily affected, um, what, what uh, strains of salmonella they've, they've uh, traced back through DNA. Um, there's currently 10 outbreaks as of today. Uh, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, over from the CDC, uh, 10 outbreaks, which includes 790 cases in 48 states, and, and, um, and there's, it's resulted in 174 hospitalizations. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this. We've talked about this for years and years and years, so I'm not going to dwell on it. Um, but I know a lot of people, when they hear that number, 790 cases in all of the United States, um, science shows us that the number of ill from this outbreak could possibly be 29 times that number, 29 times. So there may be close to 29,000 people that have been infected with this. Um, they just had, say, we're talking about it today, <laughs> in a way, a good hum uh, immune system, and they got it, and maybe they just had some tummy discomfort, or maybe they just had a little bit of nausea or vomiting or stomach cramps, and they got over it fine. Uh, we, uh, and it depends on how much salmonella they actually uh, ingested in this type of case. It's, it's basically touching fecal matter and putting it in your mouth. This is not cooking chicken not well enough, not eating eggs that haven't been cooked enough. These cases, uh, we're talking from touching fecal matter either on the bird on the bird's beak, on the bird's feet, on the bird's feathers, because uh, salmonella can attach to dust um, and get everywhere. We're, we're, so think about it for a second. Where is chicken poop? If you own chickens, where's chicken poop? Capital E, everywhere. Okay? So, so um, you may be talking about this number thinking, ah, that's low. But when you, you look at the cases, um, it's, it's uh, a much uh, greater scale. 
And we don't do this to scare you. We do this to educate you so you can educate yourselves on what not to do and things uh, to what to do to cut up your family from being one of these cases uh, with this uh, current outbreak. And you can get all that information, kind of what to do. They have, they have it really organized really well. Advice to backyard flock owners, advice to mail order hatcheries, advice to feed stores that sell or display live poultry, and uh, previous outbreaks linked to live poultry. Um, I think last year we had just under 1,000 cases by the time they closed the case, I think in August or September. And, and that last year, last year was the largest outbreak in history related to live poultry and backyard flocks in the history of the United States. So at 790, almost 800 here in early July, um, I hope it doesn't, but this, this may actually end up being greater than last year's. We'll just have to see. And uh, what, what's going on here? You know, when you think about it, it may just be doggone it. There's so many people now doing backyard poultry and buying these baby chicks to start their backyard flock. We're naturally going to see the numbers go up every year just because more people are doing it. Um, so it's just kind of one of those things. Um, and there was some controversy last year and the year before about naming hatcheries. And um, the CDC basically at the end of the day says, you know, we'd rather people focus on what to do to prevent this and um, what to do and not to do than just focusing on a particular hatchery. I believe that's still their stance uh, this year because I don't see any of the hatcheries named. Uh, but, you know, you've read some of my magazines. We, you know, um, and I've shared this with, with folks at CDC. Uh, Y'all, they named this um, salmonella infections linked to live poultry in backyard flocks. That's where the poultry ends up, in the backyard flocks. Um, but how are the, back, the, the poultry and the flocks getting this? And unfortunately, a lot of cases, the birds are coming from the hatcheries already infected with this. So I know the hatcheries uh, are doing what they can. Nobody wants kids to be sick. You know, get over yourself. Okay? Nobody wants that. But, um, and these are birds. Uh, every chicken has the potential to carry salmonella. It doesn't mean no. You see this a lot of information, misinformation on, on blogs and forums. Every chicken does not have salmonella in the gut. It's, it's, it's not, not scientifically correct. Every, every chicken has the potential to carry salmonella, salmonella. So I'm going to hush on this so we can get to our show, but I wanted to let you know you can go over to my web, uh, Facebook page and, and click on this link and see the update as of today at 1230, uh, the current outbreak here in 2017 of the um, infections of um, uh, salmonella linked to live poultry uh, from this outbreak this year. And you read over it and look at some of the do's, look at some of the don'ts, and get that uh, and, and educate yourself to see what you might want to do uh, every day. And I'll share this one more thing with you. Sorry, Maurice. One more real quick thing, because this, this a couple of years ago we started sharing this. Everybody thinks about, and, and again, the majority of these cases are basically uh, hand-to-mouth touching uh, the fecal matter that salmonella and then putting it in your mouth and getting in the digestive system. A couple of years ago, three years ago, two years ago, we interviewed a family very tragic case. Uh, thank goodness their son uh, survived the whole ordeal, uh, was a, a, uh, involved in one of these cases, and uh, tragic ICU many days. It was, it was really an amazing, amazing interview we had with them and to hear their story, but it was deemed from the medical staff that this young man uh, basically received or got the salmonella into his system via the bloodstream. That's why his case was unique. That's why it sent him downhill quick. That's why it was delayed in trying to figure out it was salmonella, because it didn't present with the symptoms as you would normally think, with the diarrhea and the stomach cramps and the stomach pain and the nausea and the vomit. Uh, it entered right into his bloodstream from a cut. 
So now, whenever I do classes in education, uh, I try to add that in there and teach your folks or educate folks to say, look, you know, we're not saying we're gloves every single time you're out in the coop and handling your chickens. We're not, you know, we're not going that route. But let's say you just got done landscaping some of your yard and you got into a briar patch and you've got a lot of scratches and scrapes or maybe cuts or open wounds on your hands then maybe for a time being you want to wear some gloves since we know there now there's been a case at least one maybe others that where the salmonella entered into the bloodstream through a cut or an open wound and same thing goes if you walk through a briar patch Maybe for the time being, you don't want to wear flip-flops while you're out handling your birds and cleaning out their waterers and their coops and things like that. So just, uh, uh, again, information that a lot of people may not always think about, and uh, we just want to share that with you guys. So let's get over here to the phone lines, and we will bring and get on to our show today if you're just tuning in. A great show, probiotics, prebiotics, and organic acids, how to select for healthy bacteria. And, of course, our guest today is our good friend, Maurice Pateski. Uh, poultry veterinarian out at uh, UC Davis. Uh, Dr. Potesky, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm so glad that we're finally being able to broadcast this show. Yeah, it's great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Let's go ahead and get started with some material. I know it's going to be a hot show, lots of uh, rebroadcast and listens and whatnot, so we were anxious to hear kind of what you brought to the table today regarding this topic and to kind of uh, let us know the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and what, what to expect and have, tell us kind of how not to waste our time based on doing other things that we might think is helping and, and what the real deal is. So uh, I'll turn it over to you, my friend. Great. Thanks, Andy. Well, I'm, first of all, I wanted to really thank you for um, kind of laying out um, the current uh, outbreak that CDC is uh, following with respect to salmonella in um, pet birds and, 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 and uh, backyard chickens. Um, so the one thing I did want to add is, is, you know, as consumers, the one thing that we can um, make sure that we do when we order from hatcheries and feed stores is that we work with reputable um, hatcheries and feed stores. And, and what I mean by reputable, it's really important um, to, to consider only purchasing uh, chickens and chicks from MPIP-approved hatcheries. And uh, I know, Andy, you've talked about MPIP before, but uh, mm -hmm. just in case anyone's listening for the first time, it's the National Poultry Improvement Program. And it, it, there are no guarantees um, in, in life and in, in, in backyard poultry uh, especially, but um, if your hatchery is MPIP approved, what that means, among other things, is that that hatchery has been inspected um, by uh, state and or um, private uh, experts um, and auditors who make sure that those, those hatcheries are following uh, best practices with respect to uh, control of pathogens, um, including Salmonella and uh, Teridotus. And, and there are different subsections, and I think, Andy, you probably know that better than I do. But what I do want to point out is that when these inspectors come there, um, it requires you know, a certain level of, um, for that hatchery to have a certain level of sophistication. And also, just for them to, 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 to practice their, their, their best practices um, with respect to biosecurity. So there are differences between Salmonella clean, um, and, and some of the other designations. But the, the point I want to make is it's really important, to, in my opinion, to make sure that those hatcheries do have that type of, some type of MPIP certification, um, because if they, if they don't, um, you wonder what corners they might be cutting. And also if they don't, you wonder, you know, are they, getting, are they, do, are, are they really doing um, best practices? Are they really doing everything that they should be doing with respect to biosecurity? And biosecurity is really the best way you can prevent salmonella. 
Um, Andy, is there anything you wanted to add on that? Because I know you have uh, strong opinions on this. I think, I think the last couple of years, um, the, new, the new program that's come out is to just to kind of let people know the lingo is the uh, salmonella monitor now is that, that, that what we're looking for for you when you call to order your birds from the hatchery to just a simple ask, uh, do you participate in the MPIP program, but even a little bit more become familiar with the lingo regarding at least this, and there's a, do you participate in the salmonella monitored program, and that is the, the specific program that would test for strains of salmonella that can affect humans. As we know, there's the salmonella typhoid uh, that, that's really only, for the most part, just a bird um, uh, disease, but this, the salmonella monitor program, um, very, I don't want to say intense, but lots of requirements each month, and then um, to basically check for the uh, salmonella strains that can affect us. Um, and uh, so that, that's just terminology I'd want people to be aware of when they go to call and order birds to say, hey, do you participate in salmonella monitored? So other than that, I think it's uh, thanks for bringing that up. I should have done that. It was great. Nope, no, that's a, that's a great point. And the only other thing I would add is, and I don't know if you can do it for backyard birds, but there, are, there also is a salmonella clean designation, and uh, mm -hmm. the difference between the two is just the amount of surveillance they do. Um, and, and I don't know if you can do that for backyard. Do you know, Andy, off the top of your head? If that's part of I'm the, not sure off the top of my head. Okay. I'm not okay. sure. So it might be some. I, I can look into it too. The MPIP for for those that are listening, if you ever try to read the NPIP, the National Poultry Improvement Program, um, kind of subsections, <laughs> and there's different subsections for commercial and for backyard. It is really a challenging document to read. So it, usually <laughs> it's easier just talking to an expert in that area who understands it, and they can kind of uh, translate it for you because it is it is not trivial um, with all the regulatory kind of language in there, but that being said, it's a really important program, and I can't, uh, if people are really concerned about the long-term health of their birds, especially with a lot of the practices that we have um, in our backyard operations with bringing new birds into our old birds, which is not always ideal, um, we want to make sure that mm -hmm. the new birds coming in are disease-free because um, if they're bringing disease in, um, then all the hard work that we've done on our um, backyard flock has really been lost because we've just brought in um, birds that are carriers and are going to transmit disease. So that, that initial step of purchasing the birds, making sure that they're, uh, as Andy mentioned, not only part of the MPIP program, but um, that those birds are part of an MPIP monitor program is really, really essential. I can't uh, reiterate that enough. Um, anyway, Very so, good. Um, so today we were going to talk a little about um, probiotics, and uh, I think it's really important to understand uh, I think you did a great job of kind of of laying out the kind of groundwork where I think we all at some point in our lives kind of have heard the term probiotics probably in some type of reference to yogurt and, and things like that. And there's a fair amount, a significant amount of literature on, on probiotics. And, and, you know, really when we talk about probiotics at the 10,000-foot level, we're talking about uh, quote-unquote good bacteria. Um, and we want to put good bacteria in our body. Um, with the goal of either displacing bad bacteria that might be there or, in a perfect world, um, getting the good bacteria seeded in the gut um, in such a way that when bad bacteria come in there, those bad bacteria are kind of excluded. Um, and there's all kinds of theories on how that happens, and we can chat a little about that. But at, at the 10,000-foot level, you know, one, one thing we kind of have to realize is that when a chicken is born, um, their gut is primarily sterile, so there's no bacteria in there, and they quickly get exposed to whatever bacteria are in the environment. Because 
they're so young and because they're so immunologically naive, their immune system is not fully developed yet, um, and because they have no bacteria in their gut, if they literally get exposed to one bacteria, one salmonella, for example, that one salmonella can lead to the proliferation of that salmonella and disease. Um, so there's two main kind of flavors of salmonella. There's the salmonella that, that make you and I sick that typically do not make the bird sick. And then there's the salmonella that make the bird sick that typically don't make us sick. Regardless, if we get one of those salmonella um, at a very critical stage when the chicks are just born into their gut, um, that can cause uh, infection and um, proliferation and potentially disease, depending on what type of salmonella it is, and food safety issues, uh, again, depending on what type of salmonella it is. The point being that, that as birds age and their immune systems get stronger and the amount and types of bacteria that are in their gut, when they get exposed to that one salmonella again, they literally can just shrug it off. Now, when they get exposed to 1,000 or 10,000 salmonellas, then obviously that can result in an infection. But it's really important to realize that there's kind of this sliding scale of infection, that if you're really going to get a chicken that's infected and you really wanted to, to do the most damage, you would expose young birds very early in life um, to salmonella because low doses of, those, of that exposure um, can cause disease. And then the next question you have to ask yourself is, okay, where does the salmonella come from? And this goes to you know, this recurring theme of biosecurity and why biosecurity is so important because the salmonella has to come from somewhere. It's an enteric pathogen, which means it comes from the gut of another animal or birds themselves. It just comes from the gut of a, of a mammal or a, of a bird uh, or reptiles or other animals. The point being that it has to come from another source. You're not going to get salmonella um, into your birds if you have good biosecurity and you're preventing wildlife, for example, rodents, from getting um, into your feed bin or rodents getting into your coop where you have water and um, other things that rodents might be attracted to. So we are going to talk about you know, prebiotics and probiotics and organic acids and all these other types of things, but the, the, the biggest bang for your buck is going to be on prevention because once you have the salmonella, it's very challenging um, to get rid of salmonella, and it usually requires um, things like depopulation and increased downtime and cleaning and disinfecting and all the things that we – we don't really want to do for those for those specific reasons. Um, so it's really important for us to kind of think, you know, first and foremost, our, our real focus is going to be on biosecurity, on predator control, on making sure that um, we don't have, you know, magnets. And what I mean by magnets are things like feed and water that birds are going to, that, that excuse me, that wildlife is going to be attracted to, because all types of wildlife um, can be, and I think you did a really good job of describing mm -hmm. it. Not are, but can be good reservoirs of salmonella because they have guts. Uh, they've got the right um, environmental conditions in their guts to, um, to allow those salmonella to persist. And when they eat um, feed that they have access to, they'll often defecate in that same area. And when they defecate in that same area, then our chickens uh, go in there, eat the feed, and get exposed to a huge bolus of, of, of salmonella, for example. So, you know, always think about the, the, the what you can do, um, you know, first and foremost, and then think about kind of these probiotics and prebiotic type things. So the, 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 the whole concept of probiotics has been around for, for a long time. What's changed slightly is, is now there is a more coordinated approach to, the, to how we use probiotics. Um, and poultry 
at a certain level, we understand poultry nutrition and poultry disease better than we understand human disease because we know exactly what we're feeding them, and we can look at um, what we're feeding them, feeding them in a really controlled um, kind of approach as far as you can have one barn that's getting uh, one probiotic and another barn that's getting another probiotic and another barn that's getting a probiotic plus a prebiotic, and then you can even have another barn that's getting a probiotic plus a prebiotic plus an organic acid. So um, you can do these things, and, and commercial poultry operations will do this along with uh, researchers um, at, at universities, for example. But when we, when we think about this kind of coordinated approach that I just kind of alluded to, uh, we talk about probiotics, we talk about prebiotics, and we talk about organic acids. And, and another way of saying that is seed, feed, and weed. Um, and what I mean by that is that the probiotics are um, – this uh, we see them as a, a seeding. We're seeding the gut um, using these good bacteria, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But just keeping things general for a second, we seed the bacteria with those good bacteria, and then we use something called prebiotics. And prebiotics are really important because prebiotics are the actual feed that the probiotics like to like to eat. So if you just take the probiotics, the logic is that um, you need to have some feed that goes uh, to feed those probiotics to make sure that they persist and can um, uh, not only adhere to the gut wall but um, flourish uh, when they adhere to the gut wall. So then when bad bacteria come in, there's, they can be uh, competitively excluded from the gut wall, for example, and the mucosa that's in there. So that's the seed and the feed part. And then the last part is this idea of organic acids. And organic acids are kind of what the term is. They're these kind of short-chain fatty acids, and they create an acidic, a slightly acidic environment in the gut. And that slightly acidic environment seems to have some beneficial um, uh, advantage against uh, certain pathogenic organisms, including, uh, among others, salmonella. That being said, I think human nature is like we go, oh, organic acids are, are a good way for the – they're the weed part of the seed, feed, and weed – you never want to feed too much of anything because if you create too acidic an environment, um, you will kill all the bacteria in your gut, and, and we need bacteria in our gut as, as we're learning more and more about these things called microbiomes and all the good bacteria that are in there. So it's always important to never go overboard on things. Um, and I know we have a tendency to think that more is always better, but um, that's a, you know, kind of one of those things that we need to kind of be aware of. <laughs> So when we think about just starting from the beginning again, so that you know we we talk about the seed, feed, and weed. So the seed part again is the is the bacteria that we're that we're feeding. There are literally hundreds of different um, probiotic commercial available recipes that are out there. It typically comes from what we call specific pathogen-free birds. So you have a, a bird that's raised in a sterile environment, um, and they can harvest the uh, bacteria from their cecum, from a part of their gut. Um, and then those, um, those, those bacteria then are harvested and they're freeze-dried and then sold as a commercial product. And there's a lot of companies that, that sell these type of things. And it contains a lot of different bacteria. But the main uh, genera of bacteria, so just at the kind of general level, um, the, the genera is, is how we um, um, biologically describe bacteria, are, are lactobacillus. And these are the same ones that you, that you read about in, in your yogurt the fetobacterium, um, some enterococcus, um, and sometimes some saccharomyces. Um, so these are primarily, aside from the saccharomyces, these are all um, bacteria that have some beneficial effects. You have to keep them alive. It's really important to have these as live bacteria. 
Um, and, and as you kind of mentioned, you know, this term competitive exclusion, it's really important and probably fundamental. I think a lot of commercial operations are really switched to this um, over the last 10, 20 years or so, is, is exposing birds to probiotics um, at day one of age, um, usually via some type of sprayer mechanism because you can't, um, the birds aren't ready to always um, drink as much water. It's just it, the, the the logistics of it's a little easier if you just have what's called a coarse spray. Um, if you just spray uh, droplets, and the the birds will um, will swallow those probiotics. Um, and then as they get older, um, you can apply it in their drinking water. One thing, and I think we've talked about this a little before, but it's really important to use uh, deionized water um, because and water without any chlorine in it um, because these are bacteria. And our drinking water, for obvious reasons, is not set up to uh, help bacteria survive. So if you do add probiotics to drinking water, and the directions will always state this, um, they'll be very specific about making sure you get water that has no chlorine in it, and typically water that's deionized in order to kind of buffer um, that water with respect to um, maintaining the, um, the viability of those organisms before they're ingested into the gut. Um, so really important when you when you when you do these things that you do them correctly, or else you're you're kind of um, not doing the intended uh, goal, which is to get the bacteria into the intestine. And that makes another good point. But there's acid obviously in the stomach of the of chickens, uh, just like there's acid in our stomach. And um, there's been a lot of research that shows you know you are going to if you start off with let's say uh, a billion organisms, by the time you get to the gut you might be down to 10 million organisms um, because of the acid environment that was in the gut um, and, and all the um, kind of killing that's been done of those bacteria as they kind of move their way into the intestines. So just something to be aware of. We want to protect the bacteria as much as we can before the bacteria are ingested, and it's really important to get those good bacteria into the bird as quickly as possible. I don't know what feed stores do, but I would imagine there are some feed stores and some hatcheries um, that you can reach out to. Um, that um, not only administer Americ vaccine at day one of age, which is really important, um, but also uh, potentially give the option of some type of probiotic administration. Um, so it might be worthwhile kind of reaching out to some of the larger hatcheries to see if that's an option or not. If it's not an option, you know, it's certainly something that you can try to utilize. And, and the course spray, there are these sprayer cabinets for people that are a little more adventuresome, maybe have a little more um, time and or money, to explore how those sprayer cabinets work. In lieu of that, um, you can um, just um, give them it, it in the water, which is not perfectly ideal. You might not get as much in them as possible, but you can do that at day two of age, day one of age, whenever you get the birds and, and go from there. There's not a lot of consensus on how long to give the probiotics as far as, you know, should I give it every week after that? Um, a lot of different arguments. Do I want to use this more as a preventive approach, or do I wait until my birds get sick? My assessment of the research is that probiotics work. They're not perfect, um, and they are not really meant to work in a situation where if a bird or your flock has um, salmonella, for example, or coliobacillosis, which is basically an E. coli infection, it's not really meant then to use in lieu of an antibiotic. I, I think that's the perfect world scenario. But when you look at a lot of the data, um, there's, there's marginal support for the idea of using a probiotic when your birds, are, are, when, when your birds actually have a GI infection. 
um, as opposed to using those probiotics in a more preventative fashion. Now, there is some literature that, that basically says the opposite of what I just said, but when you look at the metadata, which is basically when you look at a lot of the literature um, and a lot of data that I've looked at for, for some poultry companies, um, probiotics help, but they're, they're, no, they're, they're not perfect. And, and I would say you know, antibiotics are, are, are a better option, um, but for certain reasons, we don't want to always use antibiotics. And if we're dealing with salmonella, for example, uh, very rarely are we specifically in the commercial poultry industry, very rarely, if ever, do we ever use antibiotics to treat salmonella. Um, we'll typically depopulate that flock and start over, in part because uh, salmonella can persist for long periods of time, um, and the antibiotics aren't really meant um, in poultry, the ones that are approved aren't typically meant to treat salmonella infections. Um, so it's important that we understand that, that probiotics are, are useful. Um, they can, and a lot of data shows this, that they can prevent. If you've done they've done studies to show that you know, the birds that are on these probiotics, especially the birds that are exposed to them very early in life, that those birds seem to be less likely to contract um, uh, all kinds of GI infections, including salmonella and clostridial infections. Uh, there's a clostridial infection called necrotic enteritis, um, and E. coli infections. Uh, a lot of these infections can be mitigated, and or those birds are less susceptible those, the, the, to those those um, to those diseases: necrotic enteritis, salmonellosis, coleobacillosis, because um, they were exposed to some type of prebiotic early in life. So. The, the prebiotics, again, or the probiotics, excuse me, are the, are the bacteria um, that we're feeding. And there's a lot of commercial options. The, the most important dose to get in those birds is that really uh, dose at day one of age or day two of age. And then the other thing to be aware of, there are these things called prebiotics, and the prebiotics are, are literally just feed for the probiotics. So it's important when you do give um, probiotics um, throughout the life of the bird that you do offer prebiotics. And a lot of companies will sell these um, uh, in um, kind of combination with each other. Uh, for the initial feeding, that sprayer cabinet scenario, those are day one age uh, chickens, so you don't necessarily have to have a prebiotic in your, in your starter feed. Um, but um, you probably can find a starter feeds and chick feeds that do have some type of prebiotic in them. And you're really looking for these, they're really, they're, they're these undigestible um, short-chain fatty acids. Um, they're basically, excuse me, they're these non-digestible sugars, carbohydrates, uh, or oligosaccharides. Um, and they're not digestible by the bird's um, intestine, but they are digestible by the bacteria, the probiotics that are in that intestine. And again, the idea is you want to create an environment in the bird's intestine um, that facilitates um, the proliferation of those bacteria um, because, um, again, you're kind of using this competitive exclusion type idea where you're trying to uh, exclude the bad bacteria by creating an environment in the gut um, that is good for um, the good bacteria. I've so, got a couple of questions before yeah, of I forget. <laughs> and then we'll go to yeah, we'll yeah. Court commercial and then we'll come back. One is... Um, fascinating about the the age of giving actually three questions first one is you said that most times when they're giving this uh pro prebiotic or pro, well, the probiotic rather they're using kind of a, a misting system to to give that because it's mm -hmm. some studies 
not real effective to just add it, not as effective maybe as a better term uh to um uh give it in the water is there a census on what age how many weeks where that starts to turn around where we may start seeing some benefit from giving the probiotic via the um via the water versus the fancy misters that obviously the backyarders are aren't going to have um is, do we know about what what age where it may start showing more beneficial to give it via water versus the misting system so i'd say so uh, two things so so one thing i think you, you know um backyard enthusiasts can use instead of the sprayer cabinets you can use uh literally like the sprayers on uh like a mist sprayer on your hose right. um it's uh-huh. not uh-huh. perfect but you know the other thing that people will say is you're not just seeding um the bird's gut you're also trying to seed their entire environment um so some people argue that one of the motivations, and there's some data that shows this, um, one of the motivations for using these um, probiotics continuously through the lifetime of your flock is that you're creating an environment outside of the bird that has these good bacteria. Um, so you're hopefully displacing and, and kind of excluding some of those, the, some of the, the the weaker bacteria that are in there. To answer your question, I think I think a lot of it's logistics. What the poultry industry does. Um, mm-hmm. The sprayers work really well as far as how hatcheries are set up. Um, when those chicks are day one of age, it's a really it's a much easier way to give them um, to make sure that the birds are exposed to a um, relatively even dose. Um, and then as they as they move into a barn at let's say day one or day two of age, whatever it be, um, then it becomes much easier to administer uh, those probiotics in their water. So I, I don't think. Sure. Um, it's an issue of, you know, like, like I think you were alluding to, and maybe I alluded to a little incorrectly. I don't think it's, 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 I think it's more of an issue of logistics than it's an issue of, um, how to get the the probiotic into them. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. My next question was, um, the, and we've talked about this. You wrote an article in Chicken Whisper Magazine about it, the importance of using non-chlorinated water. You talked about that when delivering, um, uh, a, a lot of stuff, but just just if we have new listeners, um, are that that also is very important when we're in, even though now th- uh, starting in January, most water soluble antibiotics are prescription only. But that that also pertains to just uh, giving the water soluble antibiotics to use those the, the non chlorinated water um, and the iodized water. I think you had talked. I think that was the the way you called it um, for just water soluble antibiotics. Equally as important there too. Uh, yes, absolutely. So if you are going to use antibiotics, you need to follow the instructions, obviously, but um, several antibiotics do re- require um, dechlorination of the water um, for them Got to it. be and more effective. Um, okay. And there's, and there's that thing, last... Oh, and the other thing I really want to sure. just point out really quickly is that um, whenever you use these things, um, they are not going to last um, like antibiotics or probiotics. Um, they're not going to last very long in the water. So sometimes what you can do is you can restrict water from your birds um, the day before, um, the night before, and then in the morning they'll be nice and thirsty and you've got that probiotic there that's not going to last forever in that deionized, dechlorinated water. So they'll drink that up really quickly because you restricted their water the night before. Got it. Got it. A little trick of the trade there. And my last question goes back to when we were talking about salmonella and, and, and probiotic too because you talked about the chicks being born uh, essentially with a sterile 
gut. And then that salmonella has to be entered into the system, into that gut from somewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm going through the process of, uh, of the, again, the mail-order hatcheries. And that, um, is, is it wrong to, is it false that the, the chicks, based on the breeder stock, is, it, is it these salmonellas that were in, in the, say, this current outbreak, and I can go back and name a few, but in general, I guess it doesn't matter the specific, but, um, and you may not be familiar with, with these particular cases, but I think you would understand where I'm coming from. The the chicks, and I guess you had said, are born with a sterile gut, so it has to be entered into that chick somewhere along the way, whether it be a hatching tray or a, 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 a conveyor belt or boxes or somewhere, I guess, within the hatchery. But so, so is it is it possible? Is it not not possible for, like, let's say, the breeding stock to to give these this salmonella we're dealing with now, um, and so the chick is born with that thanks to, to the egg, thanks to the breeder stock. Um, do you are, see where I'm coming from? So, so yep. It, no, it, you're 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 absolutely right. So some salmonellas right. are can be transmitted vertically, um, which is a fancy way of saying awesome. that the the mommy and daddy or the mommy had salmonella, and then the uh, chick that hatched, but even before it hatched, it has salmonella now in its gut. Um, so that's vertical transmission, which that can happen, and we actually know that happens uh, for several different serotypes of salmonella. It, it, it's, there's some serotypes we think that's a little more common in, for example, salmonella enteritidis than salmonella Heidelberg, for example. But you're absolutely right um, that if you buy, um, you know, if you buy a chick, um, it could be contaminated uh, from um, the hen that produced that from that the hen that produced that mm-hmm. egg. Or it could be from the environment, and then this is where kind of the biosecurity stuff comes in, um, because salmonella are very tough. They can form what are called biofilms. Um, so um, if you are a hatchery, um, or if you're a backyard enthusiast, and you uh, clean your um, your coop, and you're like, okay, I did I did a good job there. The reality is that a lot of times with those bacteria, they can persist unless you did such a good job cleaning that you got the uh, appropriate contact time with the appropriate disinfectant. Um, for, mm-hmm. for, you know, literally it can't just be that you're wiping down with a dilute bleach solution for a couple seconds every part of your coop. It, it requires a lot more than that. And we've done some research. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an epidemiologist. We've done some research on uh, layer farms um, in California, and uh, we noticed that even after a farm had known that they had a problem, um, the post-disinfection um, prevalence of salmonella was in the 20s or 30s percent. So what that means is that th- these people cleaned out the barn as best as they could, and then they still were able to find some salmonella in those barns after they cleaned it, which m- just means that salmonella can persist for a long period of time. It's a tough organism. It can form biofilms, and when they form these biofilms, it's much more challenging to kill them than when they're in their what we call their planktonic state, um, which is probably um, not very common in nature because they're – especially in a barn or something like that, they're just not exposed to that much. Um, they're, they're, in, they're in a much more uh, rough environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. No, thanks for, because I just entered my mind when you talked about the sterile gut, and I can just see, I look at things sometimes a little differently than most people. I'm thinking, okay, these listeners, may listen, and then they'll go and say, well, you know, the chick, all chicks are born with a sterile gut. I, I, can, I can just see where people would run with that and it'd go viral, the bad information, mm-hmm. how we, you know, just how they do with studies and other things like that. So, Thanks for clearing that up, absolutely. Um, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. We're going to go to our uh, commercial break. Folks, we're listening today uh, and talking with um, 
uh, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we're talking about probiotics, prebiotics, and the organic acids, uh, how to select for healthy bacteria in your chicken gut. Awesome show. Hopefully you're taking notes. We'll be back with more right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. 
Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us. I also want to tell you about uh, another product that is out on the market that I was introduced to uh, about eight years ago. Um, I'm trying to think the exact time I started using this product, and it was before my son was born. He's six, and uh, then we moved down to the farm uh, from our urban homestead um, a little bit before that because we were using this. We started using this when we lived in the suburbs of Atlanta at our um, uh, um, urban homestead. We had still, even it was so urban, we had goats and chickens, water collection barrels, garden. Um, we did worm composting, I mean, really the whole nine yards. And uh, so it's been about eight or nine years since uh, I was introduced to the product. Uh, but back then, it had a little different label. It was Sweet PDZ Horse Stall Refresher. That's Sweet PDZ. And we started using that. I think it was a 40-pound bag, 30 or 40-pound bag. And um, we used it in all of our coops. But we saw the most, uh, and it was effective in all of them. But really where we saw the difference, uh, hands down, was we had a chicken tractor, if you will, and we had our Saramas and our Silkies in this tractor. And we had six or eight of them in there. And uh, my wife was in charge of, of cleaning this. This is a true story uh, of that chicken tractor. I did the other larger coops, and she kind of was, this was her um, little uh, project. And I was inside, maybe even just finishing broadcasting or doing something. In the office, she comes inside, and she says, you know what? This stuff really works. I can tell a huge difference. And she was using literally one of those styrofoam coffee cups you get like in the office coffee room. Uh, what is that, eight ounces, six to eight ounces? And, and she would sprinkle it all into the, uh, the bedding and the nest boxes there in this small chicken uh, tractor that we had with the silkies and ceramas. And it wasn't, I said, hey, here's a new product. Let's try it. This is what it's supposed to do. So it wasn't really, I didn't ask her and say, hey, is that stuff really working? What's, what's? She, without influence, came into my office specifically and said, hey, this stuff is amazing. This stuff works great. Well, now you can find it repackaged called Sweet PDZ Coop Refresher, and we're actually having a contest right now. We're giving away a year's supply of that in our chicken, our, our summer issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. So if you go over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com uh, and click contest, you'll see our current contest there, a year's supply of this sweet PDZ Coop Refresher. Um, we got introduced to this eight or nine years ago, uh, used it ever since, uh, it's fabulous, and um, uh, of course, those of you who have horses may be already familiar with the sweet, BD, sweet PDZ horse or coop stall, not uh, horse stall refresher, and now they're repackaging it in smaller bags for the, the small backyard block owner called Sweet PDZ Coop Refresher. So you can get that, and it works. We've experienced it first hand. Uh, well worth it to keep the odors down. It's an all-natural product as well, but it is it is fabulous. I wanted to share that with you today. Uh, again, we're talking with poultry veterinarian Maurice Pateski. We're talking about all things probiotics, prebiotics, and organic acids. We'll bring him back on, and uh, we will continue. Maurice? Great. Thanks, Andy. Um, so we kind of talked about uh, uh, the, the probiotic issue, and, and now I'd like to talk a little about the prebiotics. So the prebiotics are the, the feed that you, you are using to, to feed the, the bacteria. And remember, those are non-digestible, so the, the birds don't really get any nutrition out of them. Um, so one reason, again, you don't want to give too much of anything. Um, typically, when you look at the, the rations, um, so if a bird eats, you know, an adult bird eats about, let's say, 115 grams 
Um, you typically want to supply, you know, maybe when you look at the literature, about eight grams of these uh, oligosaccharides that are that are non-digestible. If you give too much, obviously you're not getting enough nu- nu- nutrition into the birds. Um, but you'll usually have some kind of description on um, the prebiotics um, that that will tell you, you know, what we want uh, that has t- 2.5 or 5 uh, grams per kilogram in the diet to improve uh, probiotic function. Um, they'll be listed on the on the manufacturer's um, kind of recommendation there. But again, another reason why you don't want to kind of overdo it. And these prebiotics, like I said, are, are non-digestible, and but they do feed the bacteria. And then the bacteria um, can do what they do, which among other things is this competitive exclusion type thing. Um, they also um, can lower the pH in um, in the gut a little more. Um, so the prebiotics can create an environment that's a little less ideal for some bacteria. Um, which is important, um, and they can allow those probiotic bacteria to do all kinds of things, including um, the secretion of um, volatile fatty acids, which I said um, uh, just by the name implies lower the pH, but also these things called bacteriosins, which can uh, fight off other bacteria. So bacteria are kind of interesting. They have this mechanism um, or uh, of what's called quorum sensing, and, and all that means is that... Um, Bacteria know who their neighbors are. If their neighbors are not nice, then they will fight their neighbors. Um, if their neighbors are nice, then they won't fight them. Um, and you know, obviously, um, this this uh, this is a really important kind of sensing mechanism that bacteria can can utilize with respect to keeping uh, bad bacteria out of the gut and good bacteria in the gut. So after the the, the prebiotics. Um, then we move on. Remember, we did the seed, feed, and weed. Then we move on to what are called organic acids. And organic acids are getting a fair amount of attention now in the commercial poultry industry, in part because um, there's so much of a um, there's so mu- there's much more motivation uh, to utilize non-antibiotics. Um, so organic acids are a potential uh, way to control some bad bacteria, and organic acids are kind of basically what 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 uh, what the name implies. Organic acids uh, have the ability that that was the the weed part of the seed feed and weed, and these o- organic acids have uh, antimicrobial activity, and they do it by lowering the pH in the gut. Um, so this brings up a really interesting point with organic acids, and and I think there's not a lot of literature on this in poultry yet, as far as I can tell. Um, where we just don't know if we give organic acids, let's say we gave organic acids at the same time that we gave a probiotic. Well, I would want to know if that probiotic then had what type of efficacy that probiotic would, would, would have. Would we be killing a lot of the probiotics by feeding it with the organic acid because the organic acid is going to start lowering the pH? And I don't think we know a ton about that yet. And I think it's going to be really important to kind of start kind of hashing that out. I know in the poultry industry, um, some producers will use organic acids um, initially when they think that they have some kind of low-level, let's say, E. coli infection. And then they'll chase that um, maybe a day later with a probiotic and then a day later with a prebiotic. So they'll almost go in the backwards scenario because they've got a health problem. They want to use the organic acids first to get rid of whatever gut problem they think they're dealing with. Let's say it's E. coli, for example. And then, um, so they'll do the seed, they'll they'll do the weed part first, and then they'll move on to the seed and feed part. Um, But I don't think there's a lot of, I, I, I think some of the probiotic companies still need to have a little more clarity on 
what when you should use the pre and the probiotic uh, excuse me the organic acid relative to the probiotic um but it's something to be aware of and i think especially as backyard enthusiasts um you know i think a lot of backyard enthusiasts are keen to not use antibiotics it it's it's challenging right now to have access to antibiotics because of the uh fda's uh new law with respect to antibiotics which i fully support um, I think we only want to use antibiotics when they're when they're when they're appropriate to use, and I think we need a veterinarian um, to help guide us in that in that, so people don't use those appropriately or inappropriately. But I think it's also really important to think about how we're going to use these organic acids potentially um, in relation to probiotics, and I think that's that's the area that I think we're still trying to kind of hash out a little. And I think there might be nutritionists that might know a little more about that, but I think even when you look, you know, before we were talking today. I was looking on several of the the websites of some of the commercial probiotics and organic acids, um, and I can't really find, you know, really clear delineations on how you should use those two products in relation to each other. Now, a nutritionist will tell you, well, the feed's in the stomach for, you know, let's say six hours or four hours, whatever it is, I can't exactly remember, but they'll say um, once it gets into the into the intestine, um, that those prebiotics and probiotics might have some interaction and, and, and a nutritionist might be able to give us some guidelines on, you know, how long you should actually technically wait between the two. But those probiotics, obviously, those bacteria are going to stay in the gut. That's what you want them to do. You don't want them to all pass through. So when you give the, the organic acid, I think it's really important to understand um, is that organic acid causing more problems than we wanted it to? Are we killing more good bacteria than bad bacteria? Um, and I think that's that's still a little unresolved, as far as I can tell from the literature. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So um, again, kind of, you know, the one thing I really wanted to kind of to point out is that probiotics are not a panacea. The prebiotics and the organic acids are not a panacea, um, but it is something I think um, it's important to consider. Um, it, there are typically, when we're dealing with a, a chicken or an animal that has disease, probiotics are not going to cure an E. coli infection for the most part. There is some data that can show that every once in a while, but when you look at, I think, at the metadata, um, I don't really believe you would use it um, as a way to um, address like a flock level problem. Now, the idea of using, excuse me, let's say an organic acid and then following that up with probiotics. Uh, and then prebiotics, I think, would be a very reasonable approach um, and could be used in lieu uh, for certain types of infections, like E. coli potentially could be used in lieu of antibiotics. And, you know, this is where you have to work with a veterinarian in a diagnostic lab. So let's say you have a flock of 10 birds or 5 birds or whatever that, that is, and you have one bird that dies, and that bird gets submitted to a diagnostic lab, and then the diagnostic lab says, well, the bird had a uh, significant E. coli infection, um, in that situation, you have to decide, okay, when I reach out to a vet, do I want to reach out to a veterinarian um, and have them prescribe antibiotics and um, go from there? Do I want to um, gain access to, you know, explore the whole idea of the organic acid and probiotic uh, and prebiotic um, uh, approach? Um, or is there is there another option? So those are... I think that's where we are right now. We have to kind of decide which of those which of those options we potentially want to consider. Um, there are advantages to, to not using um, antibiotics um, as far as feed withdrawal periods and things like that. And then the other thing I'll say is, you know, just using the maintenance approach of 
um, probiotics and prebiotics, um, and excluding the, the organic acids unless you have a problem, um, there is a lot of data that shows that these birds are, are more productive. So they're more efficient. They produce more, um, more eggs. They produce more meat. Their feed conversion ratios are lower. Uh, they're healthier. Um, so that type of approach is kind of this, um, they're, they're, it's almost like an insurance policy where you're protecting your birds uh, just a little more than you would by using your normal um, biosecurity kind of approach. Um, you're just adding another layer of protection on there. But the one thing I will say is that, you know, there are a lot of companies that sell these type of things. Companies don't make as much money by you being, you know, really fastidious about biosecurity. Um, so that's always something that's not promoted maybe as much all the time. The probiotics are, there's a lot of companies that, that, that are um, exploring probiotics and prebiotics and organic acids. So you, you'll get a lot more commercials on that than you will get with biosecurity. But biosecurity is always going to be kind of your best friend. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's a really interesting area, especially for backyard enthusiasts, the, the whole concept of probiotics, prebiotics and the organic acids because um, of, of where we're going with uh, antibiotic usage and, as, and access to those, to those antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, doing whatever we can to uh, keep a healthy flock without uh, doing as much intervention as we need to with the, the medications and things like that. And I think that's a big push for people getting into backyard poultry anyway is to, I want to do it all natural and all organic and none of this and none of that. And so trying to find things that, that they can use to not do the kind of the, the, maybe the mainstream for the many years is um, they're, they're interested in that and they're looking for that. So this could, I think, uh, be good. It's kind of like we did a show on um, fermenting feed and um, again, you just hear the it goes viral just with the very basics. Oh yeah, it's easy to do. Just uh, put some feed in a five-gallon bucket and fill it with water and let it sit for a while, and and uh, <laughs> try to make it so easy. And then um, and then we have the yes, it's, there's got to be more to it than that. And there is. It can be quite deadly to your flock. Quite quite um, um, have lots of negative side effects if it's not done correctly. It's a lot more than just putting some feed in a five-gallon bucket and filling a water for a few days until it starts to bubble or whatever. You know, you see it all out there. So, um, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it's you know, people. I think I think overall people want to do the best for their flock, and then they have to kind of choose what what route that's going to uh, to be for them and their and their flock that's gonna that's gonna work. I think that's key as well. So, fabulous show. Awesome show! I'm so glad we finally got to to do this and broadcast this. I think it's going to have tons of hits, tons of re-listens. Uh, the topic alone interested tons of people, and uh, I think uh, it was fabulous. We really appreciate you coming on the show, um, Maurice, and sharing all your vast knowledge with this. And we'll look forward to you coming back next month. Um, Maurice comes on the uh, second. Um, Thursday of every single month, which is awesome. And he also writes for Chicken Whisperer magazine. He's also an expert contributor to the book coming out in December, December, uh, um, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. So uh, thank you very much for coming on. We'll see you next month. Great. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Wow. Um, Awesome, awesome show. Hopefully you took lots of notes so you can refer back to this information. Um, If you do not – well, if you already – are using some probiotics, prebiotics, um, then um, uh, maybe uh, you learned some more about it. Maybe you decided to change something up or add something to it or deli- your delivery may be different. If you don't already use these products, 
um, what we talked about today may encourage you to do so. Uh, and um, But at the end of the day, uh, regardless of what we're talking about with our backyard flock, research, research, research. And um, my four favorite words when uh, looking at uh, chicken blogs and chicken forums are show me the proof. And I would encourage those to be your four favorite words as well when you're looking for information to raise a healthy backyard flock. So thank you very much for joining us today. We will see you next week. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, next week uh, we got a very special show. I will be traveling to the great state of Alabama, and I will be meeting up with um, – I am so excited to be able to see her again, and um, we've become great friends over the years. She's a regular on the show, comes on twice a month. She did a contest. You know, you all know she's over at uh, Auburn University now. She did a statewide contest, and she chose the winner of this contest. And the prize of the contest was a backyard visit, a farm visit, a hobby farm visit, um, in person from yours truly and Dr. McRae. So we're going to be doing that next week. I want to say it's next Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I think we'll head out it's Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'll post it on Facebook. Um, I'm heading out the afternoon before. Uh, we'll spend the night, wake up, and we're going to be visiting the uh, um, winter, her backyard or her hobby farm, and chatting with her and looking at her operation. And then we'll be going to the um, county extension office there in that county. And we'll be broadcasting the radio show live from there. And um, I believe we'll even have, um, I think it's a young lady that won the contest uh, on the show. And we're going to be meeting with, the, hopefully, a lot of 4-H kids uh, out there. So I'm really excited for next week. And um, I'll post all those um, times and dates, what we're doing and what we'll be when we're broadcasting later this weekend. So that's the game plan there. And we hope you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you will, again, tune in next week and every week to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combot Feeds, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody.